It's Wednesday the 13th of January. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I am joined by my co-host Shane Lee. Shane-o, how are you buddy? I'm good. I'm a little bit, uh, I don't know where I stand today on a few things. Just watching the cricket and what's going on, how some of our, our players are behaving. Um, there's a lot to talk about today, mate. I'm really sort of... Now stuck between a rock and a hard place and on my thoughts on this one. But anyway, we'll see how we go. Yeah, well, let's rip into that in, in the deep dive in just a tick. But we also have a couple of great Australian athletes on the show, former Australian athletes. Johnny Stephenson is with us, and so is former Australian netball captain Liz Ellis. Afternoon sport, let's go. Yeah, well, let's get cracking, Shane. Uh, the Australian cricket team, the ugly Australians, there's lots of lines being written after what we saw at the Sydney Test. What did you think? Look, I'm really, really concerned about some of our behaviour and it's going back to you – now Steve Smith scored a fantastic 100 in Sydney and the way he reacted afterwards, I thought there's a real anger there, which is – it's disturbing. Like, it, like it's a get square. It's almost he's got like sort of post-traumatic stress or something from the whole you know, South Africa thing. If you look back to South Africa, here's a quick potted history, right? We go to South Africa, we all know the story where Warner's wife was there and, and copped some sledging from, from the crowd and the team. Australia wins the first test in South Africa on a very flat wicket, Stark bowls them out, we win the test. South Africa, next test, pick and make it a really green wicket. The sledging still carries on to the point where Warner gets into a fight with the cock in the change room after that. Create Australia do nothing at all at this point. Gets to the third test and the whole, you know, sandpaper gate happens. Now, I think that both Smith, Warner and Bancroft should have been punished for what they did. It was appalling. But the way they were handled and by, by Creed Australia, they were given no support. It cost those guys $10 million each, right? It's a lot of money. Now, you wind forward to this test. I'm seeing the same signs. I'm seeing someone like Smith who is, is getting really, really angry. He's he's pointing at the crowd. It feels like he, he's been done wrong. What he did on the wicket there, where he started to scratch the wicket, first point is he wasn't trying to cheat, but he should not be on the wicket. He had his chance to bat, to get off the wicket, shadow batting. But he's not the type of guy that would cheat. But you know what, Shane? I've watched cricket and covered cricket for three decades. You played at the top level. That doesn't happen that often. It doesn't happen that often. Like, I mean, look, it was just sort of washed down the river. I, I don't think he was trying to cheat. I think you're right. But even still, like, you know, I had people who don't watch as much cricket who still love the game or ring me and say, oh, that was wrong. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the stump camera obviously exacerbated things. What did you think? I think he, he should not be on the crease. He's had his chance to bat. He should not be there shadow batting when the Indian team are batting. That, that, but the wrong thing, he wasn't trying to cheat, but he still shouldn't be doing that. But my point is here is that this guy is in a world of his own at the moment. I, I'm feeling really worried about this guy because they're living in a bubble. Um, he doesn't seem to have – he hasn't seen his wife a lot. Like the first time he saw her was in Sydney. He'd be reading the press. That's all you can do. There's some anger there, right? And I really want Korea Australia or someone within that organisation to, to make sure that this guy's all right because he's a champion batsman and he's not a cheat in regard to what he did there, right? He's paid his price down the track, but we really need to look after these guys from a mental health perspective. Yeah, he does look vulnerable, doesn't he? And I, and I know the media conference you're talking about because he came out and he said, oh, I can't believe that people were critical saying I was out of form. Yeah. And really, I went back and grazed through it, and I don't think anyone really did have a crack. They just said, oh, well, he's you know, in a, had a bit of a run of out. So he did. He scored 10 runs in four innings, which is, you know, if someone wanted to be critical, they probably could, but no one really did. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. They really do need to stay close to that. And look, Tim Payne, who's, who's who took over after Sam Papagate and has done a cracking job, didn't cover himself in glory. He's, he's apologised for it, but 
I don't know what you think. Um, those th- those sorts of comments about, oh, no one likes you, mate. Yeah. I said, really? It's like, uh, uh, is that what we do? And it's not even funny. Like, we're the, the garbage to Ashwin. Yeah, but once again, it's very childlike. And, um, you know, it's uh, the big thing... The problem is with with weird keep and Tim Payne's done a fantastic job, as you said, um, and he's kept really well. He's the fastest guy to 150 test catches, right, as a weird keeper. But as a weird keeper, you only ever notice when you make a mistake. And unfortunately, there was two tough ones off the spinner. He dropped an easy one later in the day that he should have caught. But it's it's the sort of real anger and that and the way they're carrying on and you know it, it just feels that their team is there's something bubbling underneath that that I think if it's not addressed soon, it's going to really boil over in this last test in Queensland. Yeah, well said, well said. It's strong today. This is Afternoon Sport. It is Sport with Thought. We've got plenty coming up. Liz Ellis is next, of course, former Australian netball captain. We'll also ask her about this topic. Afternoon Sport, it is good to have your company. Shane Lee, uh, look... Liz Ellis, is there anything she can't do? Australian netball captain, one of the best broadcasters in the country. She's one of Australia's greatest sports persons, um, that's for sure, and she's on air right now. How are you, Liz? Uh, I'm well, thanks, guys. You know what? I'm going to get you to speak to my husband. He's had me out shoveling grain to the cows all, all day today, so... <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell him like how fancy I am normally? Because he doesn't think I'm fancy. I'll talk to him. You talk to my wife because I've been right mowing the lawn for the last two and a half hours. So we're, we're evening each other up. Netball is what we want to talk about. Um, let's look back before we look forward because we're, we're a few months away from the, the competition starting proper. How do you review what happened in 2020, bubbles and finally getting the competition up and going? Oh, far out. Wasn't an amazing year it was. It's so... You know, for netball, we were very similar to the AFL. We all went to Queensland and lived in the bubble for oh, a bit over 10 weeks. And, you know, everyone just had to pack up their lives and go. And the, for the Victorian girls, it was all the Victorian teams. It was incredibly hard because they came out of Victoria as Victoria went into that lockdown. So they had to leave two weeks earlier than everyone else, do the two weeks quarantine in Brisbane, try and keep their fitness up and then go into the bubble into the lockdown. So, um, you know, for them, it was all, it was two weeks extra. So to see the Vixens come out and win it, it was just so exciting for them because of what they'd been through to get there. But for everybody else, it was still a a pretty long slog. Um, You know, I left my family here in Northern New South Wales for 10 weeks and that was really tough. So for anyone, a lot of the coaches had kids. So for them, it was really difficult to Mm. walk away and leave them at home um, and But for the players, you know, they were so outstanding. I'm always banging on about how great netball players are, but not a single scandal, no rules broken. Mm. Everyone just got on and did the do and we had a really good competition. Lisa, we've got a new national coach. It's Stacey Marinkovic. Yeah, so Stacey is the coach of the West Coast Fever. So, um, yep. And it's a bit of difficult times for her to come into this job as the Diamonds coach and no one really knows how the international calendar is going to play out. So no international games at the end of last year, which is what we're used to. So we usually play New Zealand in the Constellation Cup. There was none of that. There was talk that the Constellation Cup might be in January. Now it's been talked about in March this year. So all that's still up in the air. So for Stacey, it's a tough ask. She's also still coaching West Coast Fever for another year. Um, So that's really unusual in that you've got your national coach being a club coach as well. So um, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that she got the job. I really felt that Simone McInnes, the coach of the Vixens, was a bit of a walk-up mm. starter for it. So all the pressure is now on Stacey to, you know, go out there and prove that she's got what it takes to be the Diamonds coach. Lisa Alexander was a polarising figure at times for some. Was it time for her to go? 
Yeah, I think it was. And, you know, that's probably, I think with netball, netball's always been really polite. But when you start losing, you actually have to be really straight up in saying it's actually time for her to go. So there was a review done of the Diamonds mm. World Cup campaign from back in 2019. And post that review, um, Lisa was told that Netball Australia weren't going to renew her contract. So she gracefully, um, you know, left the scene and, and that left the way open for a new coach. But, you know, she had incredible success early on in her coaching career with the Diamonds, but she'd been there for eight years. So that's Lisa Alexander. Do we need a, a change in captaincy as well? We, we've got a captain who's going to play in New Zealand. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think the new coach, Stacey Marinkovic, will take the opportunity to come in and review a heap of things. And one of the things that she has to review will be the leadership of the Diamonds. I think it's good for Caitlin Bassett to go across the ditch and play in New Zealand. She needs to get back on court just for her own abilities to be able to get back into the Diamonds. So, you know, she didn't get much court time this year playing with the Giants. She struggled to get on over English international Joe Harton and as a result, she really needed to look somewhere else. She got an offer from New Zealand. I think it would be great for her to get over there, get court time, get a good look at the New Zealand defenders so, you know, that when it comes time for her to step out in, in the Diamonds colours, she's still certainly one of the best shooters in Australia, so she still needs to be in that diamond dress. The problem is, though, that you can't be the Australian captain, I don't think, if you're not on the ground playing in the Australian competition because there's so much more about leadership than just turning up to play. You've got to be here and do all the grunt work as well um, around establishing the culture, around driving netball forward from a PR point of view. So, yes, I think the Australian captain needs to come from someone within the Australian competition. 100% agree with that, Liz. Um, We've had Paul Smith on the show, the owner of the Sydney Kings, and he was saying that basketball was almost being treated like a second-class citizen in its COVID times. How how have netball found the treatment, I suppose, of getting games moved in organisation? Has it been smooth with the governments? Yeah, look, I think it has, and I, I sort of wasn't intimately involved in all of that in that in those negotiations, and I know there was a lot of back and forth, but I've got to say the Queensland government, um, the West Australian government, the New South Wales government all came to the fore in terms of um, financial aid, in terms of making things easier for it to happen, and the initial plan was for the games to be played across uh, WA, New South Wales and Queensland, but as the year progressed and the competition progressed and the COVID situation progressed, everything just contracted into Queensland and the Queensland government were magnificent, I have to say, in how they supported the sport. So I think that's probably a really good reflection of the relationships that the sport has established within government and that's something that I think, um, you know, really shone through. And, uh, yeah, I, I, from my, it's my understanding that um, netball was treated pretty well in that regard. Right. And uh, But there was some criticism from you at some of the other sports, wasn't there, at the time and their march forward kind of mentality and, you know, we must win at all costs. And I speak to some of the larger profile sports. Yeah, look, my criticism was really around, you know, when I saw Peter Volandis come out and say, you know, rugby league is going to play um, and we're going to need financial support. And I had no problem with rugby league or any sport wanting to go to their nth degree to get their season going because every sport had to do it. But I think for sports to hold their hands out and say we're going to need funding when at the start of the crisis we didn't know who was going to need funding and there was people who, you know, their businesses were going under and their livelihoods were being threatened. So I felt that sport probably needed to sit back and say, listen, we'd really like to get going, but we understand that the government's got a lot on its plate at the moment. Mm. So I think the government's bent over backwards to get, you know, borders sorted and that sort of thing for sports. But it's a bit rich to sort of say, well, we're going to need 
um, financial assistance to get going when there were so many people who were hurting. So that was really where my criticism came from is that, you know, you've got to be careful when within sport when you go looking for government money. You need to make sure that your timing's good and that, you know, you're not saying our sport is far more important than people's livelihoods and their mortgages and their businesses because at the end of the day, sport's important, but, um, you know, the government had a lot on its plate in the early part of this year. Yeah, well said. Um, Liz, at the moment you're seeing the, the Aussie cricket team sort of behaving in some pretty ordinary ways on a few things. The players are living in bubbles, and I think there's a lot of bubble fatigue going around. Um, there's, I think there's a, potentially a lot of mental health issues in and around us. What, what are your thoughts on the whole new dynamic of players now having to live and coexist in a, in a bubble? It's pretty tough, isn't it? It's really tough. And I feel sorry for the cricketers, you know, in particular, you know, you hear about someone like Steve Smith who hasn't seen his wife in months and, you know, a lot of these guys have kids and they're not seeing them. And uh, on one hand you say, well, they're well paid, it's part of the job. But on the other hand, it's a pretty enormous sacrifice to have to make to, you know, they don't see their families enough as it is, let alone now in COVID times, they're really not seeing very much. So, you know, I think there's a couple of parts to this, isn't there, that when you're in a bubble, you're sort of a bit detached and you don't really know how things play out because you're not going out the street and speaking to ordinary people. You're really living in your own little world. So, and it also then that makes it so much easier for little issues to become big issues mentally. So I really hope that all the sports and cricket at the moment is the one that we're looking at, but we're about to see the tennis get underway and then we go into the winter codes and we don't know yet what's going to happen there. But that mental side of things is something that's really important that all sports look at because it's a huge impost, I guess, on players. And from, from netball's point of view, you know, these players aren't particularly well paid. So, you know, the big asks are being made of them mm. to move and, you know, give up everything and, um, and you know, they don't get paid a huge amount of money. And even the sports people who do get paid a large amount of money, they've, they've still got you know, mental issues to battle. So uh, it's probably something that all the sports need to have a look at as we go into, I guess, the second year of COVID and the demands that we put on sports people. And as fans of sport, we've got to be a little bit understanding as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. My only thoughts on some of the banter that went on, or what was identified as banter, and Tim Payne has since apologised, but some of that rubbish around calling Ravi Ashwin a D-head and you've got no friends, it sounds, it's very childish, it's really childish, and it sounds really, really, really bloody personal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, people used to ask me if I sledged Irene Van Dyke when I played against so, her. Oh my God, have you seen her? She's so much bigger and stronger than me. There's no way that I would <laughs> sledge her. But I can't imagine, like, it would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it? Like, I don't know, Shane, you've been there. You've been a bit awkward. You, you say something, and then you walk off and you go, Oh, yeah, mate, I didn't so, mean it. So, yeah. you know, I hear that and I don't want my kids to hear it. I've got a, a four-year-old boy who is obsessed with cricket at the moment. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know. I don't know about that. But anyway, so, but he wants, so he wants to watch. But when I hear that stuff going on, I turn it off because I don't want him to hear that. I don't want him to pick that up. Mm. So I think the players, I know it's hard and they're in the heat of battle and, you know, they want to get on top. But you've got to remember that your bread and butter are your fans and, you know, your littlest fans are the ones who are going to be the most passionate and you don't want to be doing stuff that you see them go out and try and replicate, you know, at you know under nines or something. Um, through the week, my boys, uh, my boys are watching that Kubra Kai thing, that remake of Karate Kid. So you could just imagine what they're picking up <laughs> on each other. Don't break his arm. Fent. 
No, I was just going to say, go go easy on me in the backyard, Liz, because I know you're very competitive. So don't go bouncing the little fella out in the backyard. You might scar him for life. <laughs> I'm so competitive. I really have to. We've got this. We got given this. You know, the cornhole game where you toss a, a beanbag yeah. through a hole for Christmas, and my little girl was beating me. She's um, nine. I had to come from behind and come over the top of her, and my husband's just shaking his head. He's like, you don't have to win everything. I'm like, I absolutely do. So <laughs> she'd been kicked out of the house. Yeah, no. oh, she didn't beat me, the, so the she can you? stay in the house. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> Would have been a different story if she won. Yeah, look, just finally, how much is uh, how much is being on commercial TV helped netball and? you think it will continue to help the game going forward? Because it's always been a, a wonderful sport with rich anticipation and a great success uh, from an Australian point of view. Yeah, it has. And it's been amazing the last sort of four or five years being on Channel 9 that I sometimes um, sort of pinch myself. I, I can't believe we're part of the wide world of sports family. So just to see, you know, the promotional work that goes on, to see ads for the netball pop up, you know, when you're watching the Today Show or something like that, it's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> My sport belongs here. So that's been Terrific to see the growth, um, to see the way that the sport gets presented. We're really fortunate in that, um, you know, the head of netball is Keely Devery, who is a former international. She was my idol when I was growing up. Love Keely. Yeah, she's great. Everyone loves her. Um, you know, she understands the sport intimately, but she's really good at television. So we get the best of both worlds. So it's been terrific. Um, I know there's a new broadcast deal being negotiated at the moment. So um, I desperately hope all the parties do the right thing and we end mm. up in the right spot. But yeah, and it's really important, I think, for the sport. You know, I, I conducted a review at the end of last year and, um, you know, there's, the sport's going beautifully, but there's still some financial issues around Super Netball. So, um, you know, we do need the broadcasters to step up to the plate and just help out in that regard. And if if we can get that, then really the sky's the limit for the sport. Liz, thanks so much for coming on and we really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Coming up on the show, John Stephenson, Olympic silver medalist. Of course, he took gold in Melbourne at the Commonwealth Games. Johnny's next. Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. Stumptostump.com. Alrighty, won medals at the World Championship, Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games. John Stephenson, how are you, my dear friend? Brother Tim, brother Shane, how are you guys, man? Mate, John, some big results over the weekend, mate. Shane, can you believe it? It was a Australian record and personal best festival this weekend, which is great, you know, like with everything that's going on with corona and uncertainty in most sports, in track and field, you, you got to understand it's really volatile because... These athletes, one, don't really have the funding to be able to create biospheres and bubbles like the Formula One and, and like the AFL. And the federations obviously trying the utmost best to try and create competition. So on the weekend, we saw um, Jack Hale take on, there's a, a track meet in Victoria called, uh, it's like a 100 meter uh, yard race uh, named very famously after David Baxter, who I, who I ran with using my era, 100 meter runner who tragically died of cancer. And um, it's, it's a bit of a prestigious race throughout each of the Australian summer season calendar. And uh, and not many 100-meter runners run 100 yards anymore. It's a bit of it's the old distance that they used to run back in the day. And um, and Jack Hell broke the, the Australian record and ran 9.43, which beating a long-time standing record um, that was set by Gary Eady in 1966. Now, if, if you put this into relation to what that means in 100 meters, I mean, this time is super quick. This is around 10 uh 10 flat time for 100 metres. Jack Hale, as we all know, has been a star in the making, a very, very good junior runner, um, and obviously puts him in a good position coming 
for the Olympics if the Olympics takes place. But um, but as you've seen, I mean, these athletes are doing their very their utmost best to get as many competitions as they possibly can. So this is actually a good thing for Jack, but I guess that hanging over his head would be whether Olympics will take place. Yeah, well, that's the question. That That is the big, big question because the International Olympic Committee are desperate to get the Games on. Um, they're bleeding money every day and we're talking billions and billions of dollars and if it doesn't go ahead, that will sort of skyrocket. And, and look, it's not just money-driven. Um, they have a, a rich and wonderful history and they, they just want to get the Games done. But as you'd understand, there's sections of the Japanese community particularly that don't want to have it because they've been hit by COVID-19 like everyone else has 100% to me now and and this and unfortunately the athletes are the ones that suffer through all this position because they're sort of in limbo whether it's going to be or is it not going to be is there um do I get ready do I not get ready um but the, the good thing about this for Australian athletics um just to segue back into the results um athletes are getting on with it um my very good friend Paul Burgess he's a coach in WA um trained under Alex Parnov six meter jumper um world championship Olympic representative um, he obviously he coaches Nina Kennedy, Liz Parnov, um, and and assists with Curtis Marshall. Both these athletes on the weekend, Nina did a personal best of four meters seventy five, and Curtis Marshall just missed his personal best of five eighty one by jumping five meters eighty. Now this is um, they, these are these are great results. I mean these are not results that can't win a medal at Olympic Games or World Championships. Uh, these athletes are out there, especially in track and field. And yes, I am an athletics purist. Yes, I did track and field. Yes, I'm an advocate for athletics. But the the manager now difficult this is the psyche for an athlete and also for them not actually knowing, okay, for the top athletes, will I have an elite competition to... Will it happen, John? Do you think the games will be on? I'm worried. I had a phone call yesterday from the States from a friend of mine saying that the talk over in America now that there's a state of emergency in Japan, that, that it's, it's becoming even harder, even more of a, a difficult mountain to climb for, for the IOC. But I do think what it will be, it'll be a very, very, excuse the pun, sanitized games where you will find athletes will have to just go in, compete, and leave. You know, I heard yesterday with with Australian Open, they've created like a a mini biosphere. Well, not a – well, they actually created a biosphere where there's – if you go to the tennis court um, to practice, there's one way in, one way out. You have 90 minutes on the court, 60 minutes in the gym, 60 minutes in the food court for your health, nutrition, and health, and then you got to go for you and your you and your hitting partner. So you're going to find this is going to be become more and more prevalent for all these big tournaments because I think the governments that they're working under are putting so much pressure um, on them to make sure that they don't have any more outbreaks. John, um, the Melbourne Grand Prix has finally been moved as you predicted. I did predict this, but what I did not yes. predict is that they, that they would shift it for later in the year. I'm still sceptical. I think that was just a nice way to say that we're not going to dump Australia and to keep the sporting motorsport fans and the fans of of, of the Australian Grand Prix happy. Um, it has been moved to November 18th, um, but it's still under, it's still unsubject to, to approval from, from, from the Motorsport Federation. Um, and, but I think that's more from their dealings with our, with our Victorian government, whether, whether Corona, whether, whether the Corona situation in Australia and how we're, how we're mandating our quarantining and, and how we're going about, um, uh, international travellers will be come towards the back end next year. Look, they've bought themselves a bit of time. This will see the Grand Prix start in Bahrain this year, which I don't think is a really bad result. I think it's the seven extra days that, that the, the motorsport fans have to wait. Um, but it's, it is sad for, for the Australian sports fan. It's sad for Victorians um, to know that they're not going to start the year with 
with with the Formula One Grand Prix for their, their head motorsport um, event for the year. Now, John, you, you're about to embark on, on a new adventure. I think you've already got it started. You're going to get people running and get people fit. You've created a new platform and a business, and I think it's very, very exciting. Tell us more about it. But in the same breath, this is the first time that you've really sort of sort of launched into actually doing something with more than one person. How are you going to cope dealing with human beings and helping them? Oh, Tim, I've been doing a lot of self-work over the last uh, <laughs> couple of weeks, <laughs> a couple of weeks working with you and Shane. So, so oh, I, feel oh, like oh. I'm, I feel like I'm developing these skills Boom. quite rapidly, you know. But no, in all seriousness, I'm truly blessed. It's, it's an awesome opportunity. I've been doing this for years, working with different sports stars, which, I, which I'm not inclined to, to disclose on the show. But, um, but, but, it, but, it's, but, it's, but yeah, I, I just thought I'd formalise it this year and, and start to spread a bit of the knowledge when it comes to, to proper biomechanics for the younger kids that are coming up to give them, to give, you know, my fellow Australians um, the best opportunity for, for their lifestyle, their lives and their, their livelihood or how they live um, by, by knowing the correct way to run. I mean, I think confidence is a key for a young kid. So you give them the skills um, to, for, for good movement and, and to be able to move a bit faster than what they naturally can can I think that's um it's always a positive right so um yeah I, it's my vocation to my I love sport I love running um and I love giving back so um yeah it's it's been fun setting it up um it, it's 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 gone gangbusters already it's it's been well received and I'm truly blessed and uh yeah it's it's a very exciting part of my day man second doing the podcast so john a double-edged question here what's it called what's the name because i look i was joking before you've got so much knowledge to give i mean one of australia's if not greatest 400 meter runners but you were never going to be a swimmer or a swimming coach because they've actually got to start at four o'clock in the morning your first lesson will be midday because you don't like getting out of bed well that's a privilege for for me now to now that i'm t- retired i think i earned that just quietly but no it's called just sprint you can go to www.justsprint com.au or go to the social channels at just sprint AUS. So uh, yeah, no, it'll be a bit of fun, Tim. I hope to see you down there, uh, mate. Uh, we had a good time at the cricket on the weekend and uh, I think a couple of laps wouldn't hurt you, brother. Oh, John, look, it's always a treat. It's a pleasure. And look, yeah, uh, seriously, I, I, I think people like myself who are at least 10 or 15 kilos above their par should get into that kind of running and um, maybe two laps might, we might start with one lap. We'll talk to you soon. Love you, Tim. Take care, brother. Thanks, Shane. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be back with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you to John Stephenson and to Liz Ellis today. Thank you, Shano, to our wonderful, wonderful sponsor, Spartan Sports. www.spartansportshq.com And, of course, thank you to our producer, Dan McHugh, who is to podcast, really, when you think about it, very basically, is what oxygen is to breathing. We'll be back tomorrow. See you then, Shane. (laughs) See you then, buddy.